0: So Stephen Pinker uh, is a professor of psychology at Harvard University. I quoted from him uh, a number of weeks ago in this series. Uh, he, he's an atheist. He believes in evolution as the process that wired our brains, that created our languages. Um, and he had this to say about the relationship between science and faith. He said, quote, The findings of science imply that the belief systems of all the world's traditional religions and cultures are factually mistaken. So, this morning, kind of going alongside of that quote, this is the question that we're going to be addressing, hasn't science disproved Christianity? Given that quote from Pinker, he would say, yes, because of science, the belief system of religion Is now obsolete. Now, I suppose that he forgot to mention it to all those Christians who continue to occupy fields of science. Now, just to give uh, my own resume, if you will, for this conversation, um, in high school and college, my strongest focus in school was in the areas of math and science. Um, I graduated college with a degree in chemical engineering, Uh, went straight from college to seminary to pursue my master's of divinity. Now, I am not an expert at the field of science, but I've spent enough time to understand the basics of the dis- these discussions. I, I joke that having this background in science, you know, chemical engineering and humanities, that I'm I'm well-rounded, right? I can, I, it's like jack-of-all-trades, you know, maybe master of none. I have uh, a lot I can say about, um, have know enough to have conversations, um, you know, when it comes to this intersection of science and faith, I don't think you need to set them up as oppositional forces. I don't think you need to highlight one to the detriment of the other. If we as people of faith believe that all truth is of God, comes from God, then surely discoveries in the realm of science should complement that belief. So, let's look together through this topic, This connection, this relationship between science and faith or science and Christianity. So let's first begin by examining places where Christianity and science are at odds. Um, And I think you have plenty of places that you can see in practice a stark disagreement between the two. You know, when I go on Instagram for whatever reason, um, I know the algorithm never lies in some sense, but when I go through these reels, uh, it keeps bringing up Videos of um, you know uh, uh, conspiracy theories, you know flat flat earthers in particular. I don't know why. I think I'm just fascinated by them. I don't know what makes them think, uh, but these are individuals who don't believe that the earth is round, uh, but instead believe that the earth is a flat disc. And there is a number of reasons that people hold to this belief. One of which is their interpretation of the Bible. For example, Job. Chapter 26, verse 7 states, when speaking about God, He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. They believe that the earth has this foundation that has been established in the void and and is therefore immovable. It's kind of hung the way that you would hang a picture on a wall. Or how about Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 5? It says, The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Well, clearly, from this passage, it is the sun that moves. It moves around the earth. The Bible says so. Now, if you were here, again, there there was a little bit of sarcasm in there that may not have been completely obvious. If you were here last week, we talked a little bit about this. This is where we, it's important to understand the difference between a literal or literalistic and a literary understanding of Scripture because people who hold to kind of this flat earth frameworks or ideologies take passages that talk about the sun rising and setting literally, and therefore they need to throw out modern science, you know, throw out the moon landing as a hoax, etc., things like that. Now, beyond just kind of what what I would call the clear nut jobs, I apologize if that's that's probably not the the kindest way for me to refer to them, but there's, you know, even those that are kind of well outside the establishment um, in this rejection of science, I think there's a more mainstream divide that we see. Uh, A number of people of faith look with skepticism of some of what comes out of modern science, and I think where we saw this most strikingly um, in, in the past few years is the rise of COVID in 2020. The world reeled a bit as this new virus, this new strain of virus, began to spread rapidly. And the scientific community came together to try to thwart its advance. But there were a number of conspiracy theories around the virus. Some stated that it was nothing to worry about, that it was only like getting the flu. Others in the church touted that it was a political stunt to keep Trump from getting reelected. But then the amount of misinformation about the virus made it difficult to know what is it that we should actually believe about this. Like, should we or shouldn't we wear masks? Science seemed to indicate that masks would help curb the spread of the virus. But then you had a number of people in religious communities complaining that this was like just the first step of the government trying to take away your freedoms and take away your rights. In the world, through the teamwork of many scientists, they produced a vaccine for COVID in a short, I mean, pretty much record time. Once again, it was predominantly the religious community that balked at the vaccine, that rejected it, looked at it with suspicion. I mean, if you look at the rates of vaccination, six of the ten states with the lowest vaccination rates are in the Bible Belt region of our country. We can kind of see this correlation between the two. I mean, there are even a number of denominations, Christian denominations or Christian sects, that broadly refuse routine vaccinations. We're not even talking about COVID, but tetanus, diphtheria, all the stuff you know that's been measles that has been largely eradicated due to these vaccines. Or some traditions re- reject modern medicine altogether. Now, I don't know where this defiance began. Um, Again, this is just me speculating. I wonder if it had something to do with this shift from what we saw in the 1800s from creationism to evolutionism taught in the schools. You had the Scopes Monkey Trial. And I think that might have been a place where some of this um, suspicion came about. But regardless of the source, there are places, there are, there's friction between many who identify as Christians and the scientific community. Now, the downside of that fiction, the tension, where those places where they butt heads, is that many outside of the church view the Christian tradition as anti-intellectual. And I have to say, that's a real shame because part of Christianity is honoring and honing of the mind. In fact, most modern science that we have and we experience today was birthed out of faith, as we're gonna see in a minute. Now, I'd say this apparent conflict between faith and science has hurt our witness to the world. Augustine said it well back in the fourth and fifth centuries, and he said this. He said, if unbelievers find a Christian mistaken in a field which they they themselves know very well and hear him maintaining his foolish opinions about our books how are they going to believe those books in matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven? I know what he's saying. In essence he's saying if Christians maintain foolish opinions about the broader world claiming to know more than the quote-unquote experts and parroting their conspiracy theories, why on earth would the broader world trust us on matters that are even more important like the resurrection of the dead or the hope of eternal life. There is a rich history of faith and science. I'm just going to scratch the surface, but I want you to listen to these people of faith and their contributions in the realm of science. Uh, You may or may not recognize these names. I kind of nerd out on this stuff. I apologize if this is one of those places where your eyes gloss over a little bit. But I guarantee the legacy of these figures have made important contributions to your life. I mean, looking through history at Christians who have made strides in the fields of science is kind of like a, like a who's who of chemistry, physics, and biology. So I'm just going to give you some names. Let's start with Isaac Newton. I, I wouldn't say he was an orthodox believer, but he was a Christian, um, a person of faith, and the primary three laws of physics are named after him. Right? Newton's first law, Newton's, which is, I, I forget that one, that's like uh, uh, inertia. Um, you know, the third law is the one people might know for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? That's Newton. Those primary laws of physics named after him. Galileo Galilei, who we're going to get to in a moment. He and Copernicus did some stuff. Michael Faraday, that's a name you probably haven't heard of before. He was crucial in the development of electromagnetism and electrochemistry. I don't know if you've ever, I remember uh, going to some of those like science centers as a kid and they have this demonstration where there's like lightning striking and there's a guy in a cage and he can like touch the cage and he's not hurt by the lightning. It's called a Faraday cage and it's like lightning will go to the outside of it and not hurt you inside, right? That's a Faraday cage, Michael Faraday. James Clerk Maxwell who was an evangelical Presbyterian was responsible for the classical theory of electromagnetic radiation. Right? Maxwell's equations, which that's like high-level physics. Like I hated the Maxwell equations because it was all about magnetism, and they, but they were lauded as the second great unification in physics. Then there's Lord Kelvin. He developed the first and second law of thermodynamics. Absolute temperature is named after him. Right? You might know Fahrenheit, or if you're a Brit, you know, you know Celsius. Um, but in the realm of science, everything, all equations use Kelvin. Right? Zero is absolute zero. That's measured in Kelvin. There is the Belgian Roman Catholic priest, George Lemaitre, who was the first to propose the idea that would develop into the Big Bang Theory. That was actually new to me. I didn't realize that, that it was a Catholic priest that came up with that. Or another Catholic figure, Gregor Mendel, if you went to biology class in high school. The Roman Catholic friar, he was the father of genetics. Probably the most influential scientist of our generation is Francis Collins. He's an evangelical believer who was also the head of the Human Genome Project. Which is where they, they took uh, our chromosomes, and um, on our chromosomes are our, are our genes, and they were working to map what genes associate with what traits. He's also the current director of the National Institute of Health. These are all believers, followers of Jesus Christ who have been making strides in science. I think it's clear that history has shown not a divergence between science and faith, but a uniting of the two disciplines. Folks have used their belief in God to explore an avenue, uh, to explore God's creation, right? Making advancements into this realm of science, bringing the created world under greater clarity of understanding how it works. Now, it's not to say that it's always easy to see how they align or agree. There's places of disconnect between the two. For example, right, is the earth six thousand years old or over six billion years old? Science and scripture seem to disagree on the place of miracles like jars of water molecules, H2O, being turned into wine, something that science can't replicate. It's important to have a framework as we try to navigate these places of disagreement. Now, I fully believe that science and faith are not enemies, but allies, and if there is a conflict between science and scripture, it means that we're misinterpreting one of them, right? If all truth belongs to God, and we see a a, a disconnect between the two, it means we're misinterpreting one of them. Perhaps we're misinterpreting the results of science, or we might be misinterpreting, misunderstanding the biblical text, I think a perfect example of this is the Copernicus Revolution because for thousands of years the expectation was that the earth was flat, that it was solid, that it was immovable, and it was the sun, moon, and stars that revolved around the earth. But both Nicholas Copernicus and Galileo Galilei changed the course of science when they determined that it was in fact the earth that was revolving around the sun. Both Copernicus and Galileo were devout Christians, and they they had some challenges, right? The Catholic Church was not kind to them in this process, but they argued that this scientific shift in understanding did not undermine the biblical text. Now, this is why a proper interpretation of the Bible is so important, because as we discussed last week, you know, the Bible does describe the sun rising and the sun setting, but it's not meant to be understood in precise language of an astronomy textbook. Instead, it's using something called phenomenological language. It's a really fancy word that just means. It's language that describes how we view something from our perspective. We all know that the Earth revolves around the sun, but we still use this this language. Like If you you go to log on to your weather app today, on your phone. It's going to tell you what time the sun sets and what time it rises. Yeah? You don't wake up early in the morning, you know, to, to see the sun peak above the horizon and say, wow, like that was a beautiful rotation towards the sun this morning. And you say, no, that was a beautiful sunrise. We still use that language because from our perspective, that is what we see. I believe that this scientific shift showed that we had misunderstood the scriptures. But I also think that science needs to understand its limits. As I mentioned last week, science cannot confirm miracles that we find in the Bible. We cannot scientifically explain the miraculous feeding of thousands of people with a meager lunch. But as I said this last week, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I did deal with it, but if God created the laws of science, it means that he exists outside of them, He's able to work in ways that are supernatural, beyond natural laws. I mean, think about like Shakespeare as an author, right? He wrote a lot of plays. Shakespeare can do anything he wants to those plays. He can write in a new character if he wants. It didn't exist beforehand, right? It's it's kind of a a broken metaphor, but it's it's a way to think about the person who is outside, the creator, is able to do things in that system that perhaps defies the logic of the system itself. Here's a big one, though. What about evolution? Is the Bible correct, or is Darwin correct in the origin of the species? Christians have vastly different opinions about this. And and frankly, it's one of those issues that we may not be able to come to a consensus to in our lifetimes, kind of like the, you know, the church was… pushing up against the earth revolving around the sun. But we came to a consensus except for those flat-earthers out there. You know, there are some Christians who believe that God used evolution to create life on this planet. For example, there's an organization called BioLogos. You can go to bio, com. It's an organization that seeks to bring unification in the scriptures and science and they've received endorsements from some big names in evangelicalism like Tim Keller if you go to the website you see Tim Keller's endorsed them NT Wright Richard Mao now i don't know if all of those figures buy into evolution but there are christians who support it but then you also have Michael Behe we talked about this at small group i don't know if it was last week or the week before i think it was 2 weeks ago he's a professor of biochemistry at lehigh university he wrote a book called Darwin's black box which highlights some of the shortcomings of darwinian evolution that there are certain processes, certain things that exist in um, organisms that are what he calls irreducibly complex. It has multiple components, it is complex, but you can't break it down beyond those components. You take one component out and then the system stops working. Again, I don't want to bore you with the science. I get excited about that, but I recognize not everyone might. But my point is that there are many Christian voices that are trying to reconcile the findings of science with Scripture. In short, the the perspective that seems to be the most prevalent is what's called intelligent design. Even if you believe that the universe is billions of years old, it's advocating that God is the architect behind it all, that we're not here by accident. Genesis 3.19. Um, This passage is following Adam and Eve. This is the fall. Their disobedience to God. God provides curses and ramifications of what life's going to be like. This is what he says in Genesis 3.19. God says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there's this admission in the Scriptures that we're made from dust. And frankly, the the atheist scientists would not disagree with that. One atheist philosopher, I don't I can't remember if it was Bertrand Russell or a different one but one of them called us a just a bag of cells we're just kind of a bunch of cells with I don't know some type of bag some skin on but the difference is yes we are dust and we are from dust but we are not just dust we have meaning we have value that has been imbued upon us by our creator And this overlaps with what we discussed several weeks ago with the case for morality, how you can even have human rights if you just believe that we came out of nothing. I I like to think of science and faith being a part of a Venn diagram. This is a Venn diagram, right? They have their own realms that they are focusing on, and there are clear places where they overlap. And I would actually argue that they overlap a little bit more than this, but this is just what the Internet provided for me not to scale, we'll say that. But religion and science, or Christianity and science, are not meant to be synonymous with one another. A couple of months ago at Small Group, we had this discussion around the infallibility and errancy of Scripture, and I really appreciated the framework that, that Jeremy provided. And he was talking about the, the way in which we understand things uh, between science and religion, and, and I, I asked him, I was like, can you, can you type me up? Like, remind me what you said, because I don't remember it, but I remember it being brilliant. And here's what we, he said. He kind of put it to words again. So these are Jeremy's words, not my own. But I agree with him. He said, science and religion are alike in the way that they attempt to describe a, quote, truth. In the case of science, truth is the description of reality with 100% accuracy. Or you could think of like precision. Right? Science is the one that says we exist in a solar system revolving around the sun. When we say the sun rises in the scriptures, that is truth, but it doesn't necessarily have that accuracy or precision that science has. That's what he's saying there. He says while writers in each sphere, or excuse me, in each space share a similar goal, there is a key fundamental difference in the subject matter, which impacts how we evaluate each. In science, truth right, 100% accuracy, is assumed to be unattainable. Whereas in religious writings, in our conversations, in the scripture, etc., it's assumed that truth is already known and accessible, right, because we have the truth of the scriptures. They've already been given to us. So he, he continues, what this means for science is that all, almost, almost all writing or theories become irrelevant fall away, and are superseded by the next. All right? do, do you follow that? So like, let's, I'm, I'm going to keep going, but just to break that down, if you are in the field of science, if you are a PhD doing all this research, you're going to find a new law eventually that is going to make old laws obsolete. So it's constantly being replaced. Right? The new writings might move closer to that truth, that 100% accuracy, but those that came before it are left in tatters where the errors were stripped away. He says, Scripture is the opposite of this. As additional writings are added and by writings like research, the older writings become more relevant, able to be understood, and more revealing of the truth. The documents themselves become evidence for the argument. He had a little bit more to say, but it didn't quite fit as well in this, but I I thought that was just a really good perspective of understanding that, that science is, it's like there's this thing that we know is truth, but we can't fully comprehend, and we're kind of scratching at the surface trying to discover it, whereas the scriptures we already know are true, and we're trying to unpack what that means in all of life. What that means is that science and faith describe reality in different ways. For example, let's say that someone jumped off, I know this is a little bleak, but bear with me. Let's say someone jumped off a bridge in order to end their life. Science can answer a bunch of questions about that. It can give you the how questions. Science can tell you the figure for gravity, what the potential and kinetic energies are from the fall from the bridge. You could calculate the force of the impact. But science can't tell you why that person jumped. Rebecca Rebecca McLaughlin put it this way. Science is not designed to give us morals. It can help us build chemical weapons. It can help us build chemotherapy drugs. But it cannot tell us whether and when to use them as we can see, there are many questions that science doesn't answer. I don't know, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, of Jurassic Park, right? Uh, Malcolm, whatever his last name is. Uh, Ian Malcolm, Malcolm's his last name, right? Um, played by Jeff Goldblum, who loves Pittsburgh, by the way. You know, he's like, you spent so much time focusing on whether you could, you didn't determine whether you should. Science doesn't answer the should question. I think that's the realm for religion, faith, Christianity, getting to those things. C. S. Lewis said this. He said quote, "If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world." Again, if we find in ourselves these things that science can't answer, we've been wired for belief. It's not something that's evolved into us. It's not something that can be fully understood by the realm of science. But our clash with science and morality, science and faith, I think it's, it gives us an opportunity to encounter the Creator who put that spark in us. So from here I want to start to wrap up, and I want to suggest that rather than disprove or hinder faith, science can deepen our faith. We saw this with that who's who list of scientists for whom faith was an integral part of their lives, and what these individuals recognized, it was put so eloquently by a guy named Russell Coburn when he said, understanding more of science does not make God smaller, but it allows us to see his creative activity in more detail. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. The Bible authors talk about God as the creator of the cosmos, creator of the universe. We were talking about kind of the view this past Tuesday at Small Group uh, when the Bible talks about heaven, what it had in mind, you know, the atmosphere, kind of space, and the realm that God lived in. But they had a very limited view of what that scope entailed. If you fast-forward 2,000 years later, we have apparatuses like the Webb Telescope, which can look 13.6 billion light-years away. I mean, this is stuff that 2,000 years ago, they had no concept of. Maybe they could see a couple of planets to the naked eye or, or some magnification, but they wouldn't have understood our solar system or the moons or the planets. This knowledge should not diminish our view of God. On the contrary, this universe is immense. It's the same God who shaped it, right? By expanding our understanding of the cosmos, recognizing that it is at least 13.6 billion light years away, it ought to expand our understanding of the one who made it. God is bigger than we could have ever thought, But similarly, it should also deepen our awe of God's love for us. You and I are an insignificant speck on a planet that is dwarfed by our solar system, which is a fraction, a minuscule fraction of our galaxy, the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is one of just is just one of an estimated 200 billion or more galaxies in the universe. But that same God who has created more stars than we can count knows the number of hairs on our head. Science helps us see the specificity of that creation. There's a book that was written a number of years ago called Just Six Numbers, The deep forces that shape the universe and these six numbers are everything from you know that we live in a three-dimensional world to the relative strength of the gravitational forces that exist between two protons i don't know what that number is but his findings indicate that those parameters those six parameters i only give you two of them if any of them were fractionally different there would be no stars no earth no life God, in his grandness, meticulously fashioned life in a certain way. Let me try to bring it home. You can probably tell that I find this subject matter fascinating. I recognize that everyone feels that way. But what difference does this make in our lives? I think the number one takeaway that I have learned in this relationship between faith and science is that we serve a joyful and creative God of abundance. I believe that God has created a beautiful world, and He is excited for our quest of discovery, right? When we use our faculties to explore and understand the creation that He has made, I think that we start to learn a little bit more about Him, right? God has made this world discoverable on purpose. Think about it, I think about it like this. I had every now and then, I put together like a treasure hunt for my kids. Like Easter last year, you know, there, there are a couple gifts that we gave them, small gifts, and I hid them around the house. And I left clues for them to find each small gift. And it would, you know, one clue would get them to one small gift and then there'd be another clue there to go to another one. And, you know, I knew the big picture. I knew where everything was hidden. But I took joy in watching the wheels in my kids' heads turn watching them use their developmental capabilities to figure out the next clue. I mean, Elizabeth, right? Her clues are more difficult because she's been alive longer than Catherine has. But they were all were able to follow their path, and I took joy in all of them. You know, they might have needed a little prod for me here and there. I think there are times you see that in the scientific community where there's this inspiration that kind of comes out of nowhere, that the epiphany, right? Uh, Eureka, uh, wh- whatever his name is, uh, that had the buoyancy, anyway. Um, He was not a believer as far as I know. But the idea is, you know, they'd have this prod, and I took joy in it. And I I think also God takes joy in our discoveries of life. I wore the sweatshirt on purpose today because to quote the famous Dutch theologian and politician Abraham Kuyper, he said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. All of creation belongs to God, but he has invited us to come and play in a sandbox. And so I want to encourage you to experience, right, the exhilaration of exploring the world that God has made and to lean on those scientific discoveries that point to him and allow them to deepen Your faith. So as we go from this place, I have a couple questions that I'll put on the web and on Facebook. Here they are, if they would ever come up. Well, I'm gonna read them. Maybe they won't come on the screen. The first is this, if faith and science disagree about something, which side do you typically give preference to? Again, there's not a right or wrong answer in this. If science and faith disagree about something, which side do you typically give preference to? And you know, we've, we saw it a little bit with this uh, idea of, you know, COVID vaccines. You know, one community might lean one way and one community might lead, lean the other. Evolution, creationism, those types of things. But again, I, th- I really think that if there's apparent contradictions, it's because we're misunderstanding one or the other. But I, I believe in grace, which is great. So we can even have wrong opinions, uh, and God still loves us. Second is this, what, makes, what puts you in awe of God? like I was describing, you know, that we're such an insignificant speck in how big the universe is. I don't know if it's that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just the way in which a snail crawls on the ground. I I don't know. Whatever it is, think about what puts you in awe of God and to take some time to rest in that, to go to God in adoration right? acknowledge him for who he is his, his majesty, his goodness, not just for what he does for us. We, we tend to thank God. The youth group's been going through a, pra- a model of prayer called ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We often occupy the TS, the thanksgiving and supplication. We like to thank God for things he's done for us, and we like to supplication is a fancy word to pray. Pray for God to do things on our behalf. But I think there's something to say about that A, adoration. Acknowledge and worship God just for who he is. Alright, last one is this. What will you do this week to explore the creation that God has made? And I just put a little hint there. Creation does not just mean nature. Yes, it could go, you can go for a walk, see a beautiful sunset, whatever it might be. But you know what? Like learning the intricacies of Boyle's Law, I mean, might really get you excited. I don't know, whatever it might be. Think of creation beyond just nature. Art. Maybe it's art. I know Carol's an artist. She loves art, and we love her art, All right? So there are, what is it that, that um, you can explore kind of that creation? All right, let me pray. we got one more song we'll sing together. God, I thank you that you have made this world. You've made it beautiful. You've made it good. You have uh, made it discoverable, discoverable that as we go and we gain our scientific understanding our technological understanding lord these are ways in which we can that they would deepen our faith that they would not be sources of distract distraction or disunity or divergence from you but that we would be able to have the discernment of your holy spirit to understand uh what what things are out there in the broader culture in the scientific community that help us better understand who you are and the way that you have created us Uh, down to the to the each gene on our chromosomes that fashioned us to be who we are as you wove us together in our mother's wombs. Lord, we are grateful. I'm grateful for the goodness of uh, of who you are, and may we worship you with our beings in light of this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.